Why was the southern kingdom of Judah taken captive to Babylon for 70 years? What is the purpose of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy? Does the church, the body of Christ, have a role in the 70 weeks prophecy? I will answer these questions and more in this video podcast. Greetings. I'm Dr. Paul Felter. Welcome to my video podcast where I expose church fallacies and flawed Christian traditions with Bible truth. We let the Bible speak for itself. The Holy Spirit said what he meant and meant what he said. The opinions of men are flawed. The only opinion that matters is God's, which he gave to us in his word. Additionally, I want to give you all a heartfelt thank you for watching and subscribing. Also, for all the fantastic comments and questions both here and on my website, breadoflife.media. I appreciate them very much, and they are a great source of encouragement. Thank you again, and may the Lord bless every one of you with his peace, wisdom, and grace. Amen. So let's begin by answering the first question. Why was the southern kingdom of Judah taken captive to Babylon for 70 years? We find the answer in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 20 and 21. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. The southern kingdom of Judah was taken captive to Babylon because they did not observe the seven-year Sabbath letting the land rest. The land was to rest every seventh year. We find that command in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 4. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. Failure to keep this command resulted in the following penalty. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 34 and 35. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate, and ye be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest, and enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths, when ye dwelt upon it. The seventy-year captivity of Judah in Babylon was to give the land of Judah the seventy Sabbath rests it was owed in keeping with God's law. The prophet Jeremiah affirms that in chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the kingdom of Babylon seventy years. And it shall come to pass, when seventy years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity, and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual desolations. Today I will concentrate on Daniel chapter 9. Here are some background details. 1. Daniel has lived in Babylon all his adult life as a counselor and governor in the king's service. Number two, the time frame, the first year of Darius the Mede's rule over Babylon. The silver kingdom of chapter two has come. The Medo-Persian empire has defeated Babylon. Number three, 
we find Daniel reading the book of Jeremiah that states the captivity would last 70 years. Number four, Daniel prays to seek the Lord's will for the future. Number five, verses 4 through 20 are his prayer to God. Number six, during the prayer at verse 21, Daniel is visited by the angel Gabriel. Number seven, in verse 22, Gabriel gives the answer to Daniel's prayer. Number eight, Gabriel tells Daniel that he is greatly beloved and will be shown many things about the future. Number nine, Gabriel gives Daniel the 70 weeks prophecy. Number 10, only four verses. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Number 11, the 70 week prophecy is one of the most profound prophecies in all the Bible. Understanding the 70 weeks prophecy is critical for every student of Bible prophecy, as it is the foundational passage for the first coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, the destruction of the temple, and the coming Antichrist. One cannot understand Bible prophecy apart from Daniel chapter 9 and the entire book of Daniel. So let's read the first verse of the 70 weeks prophecy, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. It is incredible how much information the Holy Spirit can pack into so few words. Let's unpack this verse. Seventy weeks. Seventy, or Shabuah, seven, a period of seven days or years, a heptad, seven of years. Seventy weeks. Seventy times seven years equals 490 years. Why 490 years? The Babylonian captivity lasted for seven years, but the Jews did not repent as a nation and turn back to God. Therefore, God extended their punishment. And if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Leviticus 26.18 Seventy-year captivity times seven, the extended punishment, equals 490 years. So who is the 70 weeks prophecy for? Well, thy people, that's Daniel's people, the Jews. And thy holy city, that's Daniel's holy city, Jerusalem. The entire 70 weeks or 490 year prophecy is for the Jew and Jerusalem. So what is the purpose of the prophecy? Well, there are six things that must be accomplished before the end of the 70th week. 1. Finish the transgression. 2. Make an end of sins. 3. Make reconciliation for iniquity. 4. Bring in everlasting righteousness. 5. Seal up the vision and prophecy. 6. Anoint the most holy. So how do we know when the countdown for the 70 weeks or 490 years begins? We are told in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. 
Verse 25 marks the beginning of the countdown of the 490 years with the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem and the wall. Well, do we know when this command was given? The decree was given by Artaxerxes, king of Persia, on March 14, 445 B.C., as recorded in Nehemiah chapter 2. In fact, the book of Nehemiah documents the building of the wall around the city. Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, who gave the decree to Nehemiah, was the son of Xerxes. Xerxes is named Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. Xerxes is his Persian name, and Ahasuerus is his Hebrew equivalent. The wife of Xerxes was Esther. Her son, Artaxerxes, was half-Jew. So the king's court was highly favorable to the Jews. There are three decrees recorded in the book of Ezra, all pertain to the rebuilding of the temple, not the city and the wall, so they cannot be used as a starting point for the 70 weeks prophecy. The beginning of the 490-year countdown was March 14, 445 B.C., when Artaxerxes gave permission to Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and build the wall. Now, I am using Sir Robert Anderson's book, The Coming Prince, for these dates, as he researched this very well, and what I consider the foremost authority on Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. So from March 14, 445 B.C. to Messiah the Prince was 69 weeks or 483 years. The phrase Messiah the Prince refers to the Messiah of Israel presenting himself to his people, the Jews. That day occurred when Jesus presented himself as Messiah of the Jewish people riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Zechariah 9.9 9. That day was Palm Sunday, April 6th, 32 A.D. According to the prophecy, the time duration from March 14, 445 B.C. until April 6, 32 A.D. should be exactly 483 prophetic years. Now I want to show you the following calculations revealing the precision and accuracy of God's prophetic word. Here is a simple calculation based on the Hebrew lunar calendar. 69 weeks of years times 7 equals 483 years, as we noted. Remember, these are prophetic years of 360 days each. 483 times 360 days per year equals 173,880 days. Prophetic years are based on the lunar calendar of 360 days, where our current solar calendar is 365 and a quarter days. So here is the calculation from the solar year of 365 and a quarter days per year. From March 14, 445 BC until April 6, 32 AD is 476 solar years. 445 BC years plus 32 AD years minus 1 equals 476 years. Remember, there is no zero year 
in our calendar. 476 solar years times 365 days equals 173,740 days. But we need to add in the leap years. We have leap year every four years. So 476 divided by 4 equals 119 leap years. However, there is a further consideration regarding the leap year calculations on centennial years. If the year is evenly divisible by 100, then it is not a leap year. If the leap year is evenly divisible by 400, then it is a leap year. So leap years 100 AD, 200 AD, and 300 AD were not leap years, so they must be subtracted from the 119 leap years, giving 116 leap years. But year 400 AD was a leap year, so it remains in the total leap years. So, 173,740 days, plus the 24 days from March 14th to April 6th, plus 116 leap years, equals exactly 173,880 days. So, from March 14th, 445 B.C., until April 6, 32 AD is 173,880 days or 483 lunar years or the first 69 weeks of the 70 weeks prophecy. So the prophecy, 69 weeks of years equals 483 years, which equals 173,880 days. The Julian calendar. 445 B.C. to 32 A.D. equals 476 years, which equals 173,740 days, plus 24 days, plus 116 leap year days, which equals 173,880 days. This prophecy is accurate to the very day. That's why I went through this math to show you the accuracy of this prophecy. It is absolutely an amazing prophecy. With this level of accuracy, there was no excuse for the rulers of Israel not to know the time of their Messiah's arrival. How could they have missed it? Well, they missed it because Daniel was never considered a true prophet as he had dreams and visions and angelic visitations. A true prophet receives the word directly from God, as did Isaiah Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Consequently, the book of Daniel was classified as a writing and not prophetic scripture. I'm sure the disciples were shocked when Jesus referred to Daniel as the prophet in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. Did Jesus ever acknowledge that prophetic day, the day of Messiah the Prince, from verse 25? Well, yes, he did. Luke chapter 19, verses 42 through 44. If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hidden from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, and thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus is chiding the Jews at Jerusalem 
for their failure to understand the prophetic scriptures. Had they known their prophecies about the Messiah, they would have known the time of his arrival in Jerusalem and would have been watching. Since they missed that very important day, destruction and desolation will come upon them and their city Jerusalem. That was to come later with the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. With the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday, 483 years or 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy have been completed. That leaves only one week of seven years remaining to be fulfilled. However, there are some events that occur in the gap between the 69th and the 70th week. Verse 26. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Two major events happen in the gap between the 69th and the 70th week. Number one, Messiah be cut off. The Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, is cut off or crucified, but not for himself. He was not crucified for any crimes he committed. He was crucified for the sin of the world, yet he was sinless. He gave his life that others might be saved. Number two, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the temple. Well, who were the people that destroyed the temple? The siege of Jerusalem began a few days before Passover in April of 70 AD with the 5th, 12th, 15th Roman legions to the east and the 10th Roman legion on the Mount of Olives. The prince that shall come, the yet future Antichrist, is of the people that destroyed the temple. The 10th Roman legion destroyed the temple. So who were the people of the 10th Roman legion? The use of the word people in a military setting is noteworthy. The context is the Roman siege of Jerusalem. So one might expect terms like soldier or warrior or fighter, etc. But the word people is a secular term associated with society, not a military campaign. So the people of the 10th Roman legion were primarily Turks, Syrians, and Arabs, as the 10th Roman Legion was based in Antioch, Syria. Following are some quotes with attributions from noted historians showing the composition of the Roman legions. Early in this year, Titus Caesar found in Judea three legions, the 5th, the 10th, and the 15th. To these he added the 12th from Syria, and some men belonging to the 18th, and the third, whom he had withdrawn from Alexandria. This force was accompanied by a strong contingent of Arabs who hated the Jews with the usual hatred of neighbors. A quote from Tacitus. Under Nero, just a few years earlier, Josephus commented on the Syrian dominance in the Roman garrisons in Judea. The greatest part of the Roman garrison was raised out of Syria, and thus being related to the Syrian part, they were ready to assist. The Wars of the Jews, by Josephus. So Vespasian sent his son Titus, who came by land into Syria, where he gathered together the Roman forces, with a considerable number of auxiliaries from the kings in the neighborhood. Josephus, 
the complete works of Josephus, the wars of the Jews. The multitude of the Arabians and the Syrians cut up those that came as supplicants and searched their bellies. Nor does it seem to me that any misery befell the Jews that was more terrible than this, since in one night's time about 2,000 of these deserters were thus dissected. Again, Josephus, the War of the Jews. The fighting soldiers of the Roman legions, especially the tenth, were predominantly Syrians, Turks, and Arabs, while the command staff were Romans from Italy. Here's a breakdown of the people comprising the Roman legions at Jerusalem in 70 AD. Legion 5, from Syria and Judea. Legion 10, from Asia Minor, Syria and Judea. Legion 15, Syria and Judea. Legion 12, Asia Minor and Syria. Also, soldiers from Legion 18, Egypt, and Legion 3, Egypt, and Arabian Auxiliaries. Below is a quote from a very popular Bible prophecy expert. It doesn't matter whether or not the legions were composed of Australian Aborigines. It was the Roman government that decided to destroy Jerusalem. It was the Roman government that gave the orders. It was the Roman generals who carried out the destruction and is the Roman people that the Antichrist will arise, end quote. But is that statement accurate? Did the Roman government or the military give the order to destroy Jerusalem and specifically the temple? Well, here are some more quotes to refute that claim. And now a certain person came running to Titus and told him of this fire, whereupon he rose up in great haste, and as he was, ran to the holy house in order to have a stop put to the fire. After him followed all his commanders, and after them followed the several legions in great astonishment. So there was a great clamor and tumult raised, as was naturally upon the disorderly motion of so great an army. Then did Caesar, both by calling to his soldiers that were fighting with a loud voice, and by giving a signal to them with his right hand, ordered them to quench the fire. Josephus, War of the Jews. There you see that Titus gave the order to quench the fire that they were starting in the temple. He did not give the order to destroy it. He gave the order to try to save it. Another quote. Titus, supposing what the fact was that the house itself might yet be saved, he came in haste and endeavored to persuade the soldiers to quench the fire. Yet were the regards they had for Caesar and their dread of him who forbade them, not as hard as their passion and their hatred for the Jews, and a certain vehement inclination to fight them, too hard for them also. And thus was the holy house burnt down without Caesar's approbation. Josephus War of the Jews. Here again another quote showing that Titus did not order the destruction of the temple. He wanted it saved. They did it against his orders and against his will. The 10th Roman legion based in Antioch, Syria, broke through the wall and destroyed the Holy Temple in August of 70 AD. The 10th legion was comprised mainly of Syrians, Turks, and Arabs. Therefore, the people of the prince that shall come, the Antichrist, were Syrians, Turks, and Arabs, not Europeans. So likewise, the coming prince, the Antichrist, will be from the same geographical area, the Middle East. 
Those are his people, and they will follow him. So let's review our checklist. Turks, Syrians, and Arabs destroyed the temple in 70 AD. The prince that shall come, the yet future Antichrist, is of the people that destroyed the temple. The 10th Roman legion destroyed the temple. The people of the 10th Roman legion were Turks, Syrians, and Arabs, as the 10th legion was based in Antioch, Syria. That happened in the gap between the 69th week and the 70th week. The text clearly states a gap of some 38 years, the crucifixion to the destruction of Jerusalem. Even now, the six decrees of the 70 weeks in verse 24 are yet unfulfilled. We are still in the gap. However, one week, the 70th week, remains unfulfilled. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined, shall be poured upon the desolate. Well, lots of big words there, but let's break it down. He is the prince that shall come, the Antichrist. He will confirm a covenant for one week, seven years. The covenant will be a peace agreement that includes the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. We know the Antichrist comes on the scene as a peacemaker, as depicted in Revelation chapter 6, riding a white horse. The covenant could be the covenant of Moses that includes the priesthood and temple sacrifices. The Antichrist wants the temple rebuilt, not so the Jews can worship God, but so he can sit in it proclaiming himself God. The temple will be rebuilt early in the seven-year tribulation because the Antichrist will stop the daily sacrifice at the midpoint, three and a half years. And he shall make it desolate. The Antichrist perpetrates the abomination of desolation in the temple and makes it desolate of the presence of God. Consummation. The temple is desolate of God's presence through the remaining three and a half years of the tribulation. That determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. The wrath of God determined in prophecy will be poured out upon the kingdom of the Antichrist. The 70th week of Daniel's prophecy culminates with the destruction of the Antichrist kingdom and the fulfillment of the purpose of the prophecy. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Lord will fulfill these six promises to the Jewish people. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision, and to anoint the Most Holy. Well, thank you for joining me. Please check out these additional resources in the description below. See you next time, and God bless.